0: Dr. Lawson, we are just so thankful that you've come this morning and please come up and honor us in proclaiming the Word of God. Well, thank you very much for that introduction. Um, Let me just begin by saying you have a precious treasure in Tim, and he is such a uh, godly man, and his interest in training men and expository preaching around the world is such a a wonderful extension of the ministry of, of this church. If you think about it, To reach the pulpit is to bring about the greatest influence upon the life of the church. The pulpit should be the greatest influence upon the church. The church should be the greatest influence upon the world. And so if you had one bullet to fire, one bullet of of influence, uh, you would direct it to the pulpit and begin a chain uh, reaction, a domino effect, uh, to bring about the quickest uh, effect upon the world. So... Um, Tim's life is well invested, and I'm sure that you support and encourage him, and it's wonderful to have someone like him in our Doctor of Ministry program, so thank you very much. Uh, I've been here before. Uh, I have preached on Sunday morning a couple of times, and I've also done a men's conference here, so uh, it's wonderful to be back again. I'm grateful for this opportunity. And it's, uh, it's difficult to know what to preach when you have one opportunity to preach in a place like this. And uh, I do preach on the road a lot, and I've preached some of the same sermons here recently. So I decided yesterday in my hotel room I was just going to write an entirely new sermon for this morning. So I'm breaking every ministry rule there is um, Spurgeon said, never preach anything old at home and never preach anything new on the road. So I, I have that uh, flip-flop. This is either a great idea or a very bad idea, one of the two. So um, just uh, pretend like you are getting a lot out of this, and I'll be encouraged. Uh, but I know you will because it's, it's the Word of God. So, I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. And in our time together this morning, there are uh, verses here, uh, five verses specifically, to which I want to draw our attention today. Philippians chapter 3. I want to begin reading in verse 10, and I will read through verse 14, and as God gives time today... We, we will look at these verses. Philippians chapter 3, I want to begin reading in verse 10. The title of this message is, Living for Christ. That I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain... "...to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind... And reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, for the prize, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The greatest life that anyone can possibly live is the life of following Christ. To live for Christ is to truly live To to live for Christ is to live life to the fullness. But to fail to live for Christ is to merely exist. To fail to live for Christ is to live an empty, hollow, meaningless existence. Either we live for Christ or we do not even live at all. We just merely subsist. The Christian life is Christ. Everything is about Jesus Christ. That's why we're called Christians. That's why our life is called the Christian life. It's, it's all about Christ. Everything begins and ends with with Christ. The Christian life is believing in Christ. It's trusting Christ. It's following Christ. It's Adoring Christ and worshiping Christ and loving Christ. The Christian life is obeying Christ, serving Christ, bearing witness of Christ, testifying of Christ, honoring Christ, glorifying Christ. The alpha and the omega of the Christian life is Jesus Christ. He is the sum and the substance of our entire life and that is specifically what Paul says to us in these verses. Uh, This is really his spiritual autobiography. Uh, This is Paul telling us uh, his testimony and about his life in Christ. In the last church that I pastored, whenever someone wanted to join the church, we as the elders required that they would write out their testimony. And any testimony has three parts— We had them write out your life before you became a Christian, then tell us about how you became a Christian, but we also added, tell us about your life since becoming a Christian. That is what Paul is doing in these verses. He, in chapter 3, is breaking out his testimony in these same three major headings, in verses 4 through 6, he tells us all about his life before he became a Christian. These were his B.C. days, before Christ. And he says in, in, in verses 4 and following that, that he was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church, and blameless, righteous according to the law. That was everything he once trusted in as Paul was entrapped in the dead religion of apostate Judaism at this time. And then in verses 7 through 9, he moves to give us his testimony of how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the story itself is in Acts chapter 9. Verses 7 through 9 here is really the theological explanation of his conversion. And it is a wonderful statement of his conversion to Christ. But beginning in verse 10 and extending through verse 14 is this final part of his Christian testimony. It is his life since becoming a Christian And by way of introduction, I want you to think about your life. Uh, I I want you to think about these three major headings. Uh, Can you remember what your life was like before you were converted to Jesus Christ? Uh, Can you remember how lost you were? Can you remember how perishing you were? Can, Can you remember how you too were entrapped in a, in a works righteousness or you too were a part of the world system. And then can you remember when you came to faith in Christ? Uh, can you remember the circumstances? Can you remember where you were and what happened and who brought the gospel to you and what was beginning to, to process in your mind? Can you remember the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God and how you came to that to that that line in the sand and how you took that step of faith and you entered through the narrow gate? Can you remember that? And now, your life since becoming a Christian. What, What a dramatic change. In fact, if Jesus hasn't changed your life, you haven't met Jesus. And because Jesus is too powerful, too dynamic, too full of grace for anyone to meet the Lord Jesus Christ and for their life to not be dramatically and radically transformed. Today, we want to hear Paul's the end of Paul's testimony. We want to hear what he has to say about his life since conversion. Now that he is a believer in Jesus Christ, now that he is a Christian, And as we look at verses 10 through 14 and process what he has to say, I want to say this. This needs to be your testimony as well. You need to be able to vicariously put yourself into verses 10 through 14, and and this needs to be what would be written of your life also. This needs to be what is going on in your life today. In fact, as we look at verses 10 through 14 nothing could be more relevant. Nothing could be more practical. Nothing could address your Christian life exactly where you find yourself on this Lord's day. So, I want us to look at this new life that Paul had in Christ as he went from being a a persecutor of the church and someone who was trying to earn favor with God, till now, here he is, a true believer in Jesus Christ. So, I want you to note several things about this new life that Paul has in Christ. And the first thing that I want you to note is a new passion. Paul has a new passion, and that's how verse 10 begins. Notice he writes, that I may know him. This is the driving, dominant passion of Paul's life. Uh, He has narrowed down, really, the, the purpose statement of his life, and more than anything else, he wants to know Christ. Now, He's already told us about coming to know Christ in verse 8. You'll notice previous. He said, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And there, Paul, when he talks about when he came to faith in Christ, he, he's using mathematical accounting terms and he sees his life really as a, as a, tea, a tea spread where there's uh, assets and liabilities. And at one point in his life, he listed the liabil- the assets of his life, and it's everything in verses 5 and 6. This is everything that he once had going for him. He added it all up, and this is what he was proud of, and this is what he was trusting in to commend him before God. Uh, he was circumcised the eighth day, nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, it's the law of Pharisee. Uh, zeal, persecutor, righteousness, blameless. That was everything that was on the asset side, the profit side of his P&L spiritual statement. And then that day on the Damascus Road, he had letters in hand to go apprehend the Christians. And while he was on that road, Jesus Christ suddenly appeared to him and knocked him off his high horse And in that one very moment, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And in that defining moment, everything that was on the prophet's side of his life, everything he once valued, everything that was of importance to Paul, he immediately transferred it over to the liability side And those were all liabilities. And there is only one journal entry that is entered on the prophet's side, and it is Jesus Christ. And in Christ, all of the treasures and all of the the riches of the saving grace of God were instantly credited to his account. And God deposited the righteousness of Christ and the fullness of His saving grace. And in that moment, Paul came to know the living Christ. Not just know about Christ, but to actually know Christ, which means to enter into a saving relationship with Christ. Listen, I, I, know, I know about a lot of men. I've written biographies about. Uh, I I know about Martin Luther. I know about John Calvin. I know about Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and Charles Haddon Spurgeon and Martin Lloyd-Jones and William Tyndale. I don't know them. I just know about them. You can only know someone who is living, who is alive, that you have encountered, that you have experienced. And that is what Paul is saying to us, that he has come to know Jesus Christ, who is the living Savior of heaven and earth. Now, in verse 10, he says that I may know him. And we would say, now, wait a minute, Paul. You just told us in verse 8, you already know him. So why would you say now your new passion is that you would know him whom you already know and the answer to that is what paul is saying in verse in verse 10 is the recognition when i was on that damascus road i was only beginning to know him but that is only like putting one little toe into the pacific ocean there is so much more to to dive into To know the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he is saying in verse 10, it's not enough just that I started to know him on the Damascus Road. Oh, I want to know him more. I I want to know him more deeply. I want to know him more personally. I I want to know Christ more intimately. He wants to, as Second Peter 3:18 says. He wants to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his testimony to us, and and that must be every one of our testimony here today. You see, it's not enough that you know Christ. You must know him more. You must grow in your Christian life. You must mature and develop in your love for Christ. In Ephesians 4 and verse 13, Paul writes, until we attain to the knowledge of God to a mature man. He tells us spiritual maturity is attaining a fuller, deeper, richer knowledge of Christ. Now, when he says knowledge of Christ, he's talking about an experiential knowledge, not just head knowledge and facts and and figures, but a knowledge of Christ down in his heart and and down in his soul. That's what Paul desires, and that is the new passion in his life. And what a change, because earlier his whole life was devoted to snuffing out the name of Christ, to, to so persecute the church that no one would ever hear of the name of Christ. And then in that moment when he was born again, when he was converted to Christ, everything changed. And now he must know more and more of Christ. This is where we must be this Lord's Day. No matter how long you have known the Lord... No matter how long you have been walking with Christ, you have only just begun to know Him. There is so much more of the knowledge of the Son of God for you to experience in your spiritual life and how much more of Christ there is for us to know in our heart and soul. Uh, at the first service, when Tim introduced me, he made mention that I have been married for 35 years uh, to my wife, and I have. And about a month ago, I drove past the church where we were married and brought back just a flood of memories. And my wife was in the front seat with me, and I thought, I only thought that I knew her when we got married. (laughs) I mean, I knew her, but I had no idea the treasure that God was entrusting to me. And I'm sure she would say she only thought she knew me before we were married. And she now knows me so much better. Uh, I can be standing and preaching, in fact, and she can be sitting on the front row and she can communicate to me with her eyes, the tilt of her head, with her body posture, with that I need to tone down just a little bit and calm down, Uh, because we now know each other so much better. That is just a small little illustration of the far greater reality of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that this new passion that Paul had is the new passion in your heart if you've been truly born again, and it is this new passion that must be the driving and supreme uh, passion of your spiritual life. Can you give this testimony today? Can you say that the number one most important driving uh, uh ambition in your heart is, I want to grow closer to Jesus Christ than anyone or anything in this world. Well, I want you to note second, not only a new passion, but no second a new power. Paul also wants to know not just Christ, but he also wants to know, verse 10 says, And the power of his resurrection. That word and is very important because it's not just enough that we know Christ. Paul also wants to know the power of his resurrection and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest display of power in the history of the world as in the resurrection of Christ. God broke the the power of death, and God broke the power of the grave as he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And in that moment of the resurrection, the release of that power, Paul has already begun to experience that power when he met Christ. And the power of the resurrection was first experienced by Paul on that road to Damascus when he was born again, when he was birthed into the kingdom of God. And in the new birth, sinners who are dead in trespasses and sins are raised to newness of life. The doctrine of justification is in some ways like paperwork in heaven, where You go from standing before God in your unrighteousness and in the act of justification, you and I are clothed positionally in heaven with the perfect righteousness of Christ and the righteousness of Christ is deposited to our account. But experientially, it is the new birth that brings about a spiritual resurrection from the dead, by which the life of God now lives within us, and we are resurrected to live for Jesus Christ. That began on the road to Damascus. But Paul wants to know more of the power of God, because as he lives for Christ, and as he steps out by faith now to serve Christ... There are greater demands upon Paul's life. As he goes down the narrow path, and he is met with all of the complexities of life in living for Christ, Paul can't live for Christ in his own efforts and in his own strength. Uh, Paul must have the power of Christ if he is to live for Christ. So that is why he says now in verse 10 that I may know Him and the power of the resurrection. And it is by the supernatural power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that Paul is sustained as he lives his Christian life. And the same must be true for you and me. You and I cannot live the Christian life in our own strength. There's only been one person to live the Christian life perfectly, and that is Jesus Christ. And we must have the power of Christ if we are to live for Christ. It should be said of our Christian lives by our friends who observe us live that there is no explanation for our lives apart from the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. As people look on at our lives, they they should be able to say, there is no way he can live like this. There is no way she can live like this because it is beyond explanation except for the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, what challenges are you facing in your life today? What are the obstacles? What are the difficulties? What are the demands that are that are being placed upon you? Well, in your own strength, there is no way that you can live victoriously. In your own strength, there is no way that you can live so as to glorify God and honor Him if you are simply generating your own strength to live the Christian life. You and I will fall flat on our face every single time. And there is only one way that you and I can press on in the Christian life and meet every challenge and meet every trial and meet every difficulty in a way that glorifies God, and it is by what Paul says right here, by the power of His resurrection. You and I desperately need to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on an ongoing moment-by-moment basis. How do you, how do you appropriate the power of Christ in your life? How, how do you experience more of this sovereign supernatural power of the resurrection of Christ in your life? I think the answer is here in verse 10. It is, as we grow to know Christ, we grow to know more of His power. Do you need strength to live your Christian life? Of course you do. How would you experience this power? It's not just you think about it. It is, as verse 10, the order is important number one is that we may know Him. The result of that is that we may know the power of His resurrection. As you grow to know Christ more closely, as you spend time with Him, as you pray to Him, as you study His Word, as you worship Him, as you meditate upon Christ, it is by growing to know Christ and growing closer and closer in your walk to Christ, the fruit of that is that you and I experience the power of His resurrection in our lives. Those times when we are furthest away from Him it's when we know less of His power. Those times when we are walking stride for stride with Him and heartbeat for heartbeat with Him, and our life is being lived in conscious fellowship with Him, that is when we grow to have the, the power of Christ in our lives. So, what have we said to this point? Paul's new life, that it was so different from what his life was like before he became a Christian. He has a new passion that I may know him. He has a new power the power of His resurrection. And now there's a third thing that He mentions here in verse 10, and it is a new persecution. Uh, This too is a part of the package deal. For verse 10, He goes on to say, "...and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death." Again, the word and is very important. What we need to understand in verse 10... It's not a multiple choice. It's not we get to pick the first and the second and no thank you on the third. Uh, verse 10 is not a buffet line that we go through and we say, you know, I would like to know Christ better. And I would also like to have his power, uh, but no thank you on the fellowship of his sufferings. Uh, this word and, that's twice, used twice in verse 10 bring together all three aspects of verse 3 like links in one chain. These are forged together and cannot be separated. And so it inevitably leads from one to the next to the next. The more I know Christ, the more I know the power of His resurrection, which means I live in such a, 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 a dynamic way for Christ... This inevitably leads to the fellowship of His sufferings. Because I, I stand out in the world now as I grow to know Christ and, and this supernatural power. And now I'm advanced to the front lines of, of spiritual warfare. And now my, my flag is flying high for the Lord Jesus Christ. And because now, my testimony for Christ is so empowered by this resurrection power, I'm going to be facing difficulty in this world. I'm going to be facing opposition. I mean, it's just part and parcel of the Christian life. And Paul, in fact, as he writes this, Paul is imprisoned in Rome He he is chained to Roman soldiers 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as Paul writes this. And as Paul is suffering for his faith in Jesus Christ, there is a fellowship that he has with Christ in his sufferings that is far deeper than when everything is just going simple, and and easy in his Christian life. Uh, We must admit that for the last many years, we've had kind of a free pass here in the United States on being a Christian. In fact, being a Christian has almost been a popular thing to be. But now the tide is so changing and turning, we have stepped into a brand new era here in our culture and in our nation, And we will soon be knowing what this is about, the fellowship of his sufferings, but it is a part of being conformed to his death. And so let us stand up, speak up, speak out, let us give witness for Christ, and as we grow to know him, and as we are empowered by him, we will also be entering into a greater measure of the fellowship of his sufferings. Second Timothy 3 verse 12 says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Uh, there are no exceptions to that rule. And Peter, when he wrote to the early believers who were scattered abroad throughout Asia Minor, Peter said, Beloved, Do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you as though some strange thing were happening to you. Verse 13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Verse 14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. "...because the Spirit of of glory and of God rests upon you." If anyone suffers as a Christian, verse 16, "...he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in in this name." So, as we grow to know Christ, we will grow to experience His power, and we will also grow in the sufferings of Christ as we will be identified with Christ and pay a price for being a follower of Him who this evil world rejected and crucified 2,000 years ago. I want you to note a fourth aspect of this new life in Christ. And remember, this isn't just Paul's new life. This is your new life in Christ, if in fact you are a Christian. So, I want you to note, forth a new prospect. In verse 11, Paul speaks of his future, and Paul says, or he writes, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul is looking ahead to the end of this age, and He knows that at the end of this age, when Jesus Christ returns, there will be a resurrection of the bodies of all believers that will be caught up to be with the Lord in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 says, "'The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with a trumpet of God and the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ shall rise first.'" As the old spiritual song says, there's going to be a great getting up morning. And the dead in Christ will rise. And in that split second, 1 Corinthians 15 says, this mortal will put on immortality, this corruptible will put on incorruptible, our bodies will be changed and transformed in a moment, and our bodies will be like the resurrected glorified body of Jesus Christ who is now in heaven. And in that moment when we, our, our, our soul and our spirit, which is, which will go to be with the Lord immediately. When a believer dies, we immediately go into the presence of God. The body is put in the grave. The soul and the spirit goes to heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 8. But at the end of the age, even our bodies will be resurrected. And we will be given bodies perfectly adapted for our new environment in heaven. We will have glorified eyes so that we can behold the beauty of the holiness of Christ. We will have glorified tongues with which we will praise Christ. We will have a glorified body that will never grow weary or tired in our adoration of Christ. We will have glorified hands with which we will cast our crowns before His feet. We will have glorified feet with which we will we will travel to serve Christ in heaven. And Paul was looking forward to that to that final day at the end of the age, and it gave him hope. It gave him strength as he was being uh, uh, opposed and persecuted in this life. He knows that God will have the final word at the end of the age, and that His own body will be raised incorruptible to stand before the Lord. Listen, you can push yourself in this life and go full tilt in living for Christ, because He will give you a new body at the end of the age. And no matter what demands are being placed upon you right now as you serve the Lord, it doesn't matter. Our outer man is perishing, but our inner man is being renewed day by day. And at the end of the age, even our outer man will be given an indestructible, glorified, resurrected Christ. Yeah, amen to that. Thank you. So there's one more thing that Paul wants us to know, and that is a new pursuit. That is in verses 12 through 14, and I I need to to wrap this up. But beginning in verse 12, Paul tells us that he now is involved in a race, and he will use athletic metaphors, that he is running full speed, in the pursuit of the knowledge of Christ and in Christ's likeness. So let's look now, beginning in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained it. And the it goes back to the beginning of verse 10, and it refers to the full knowledge of Christ. He means, yes, I know him, and I am growing to know him more and more, but I have not yet obtained the full knowledge of Christ. And so, he is aware that there is still so much more of Christ to know. And then he says in verse 12, or have already become perfect. And that refers to Christ likeness, perfect Christ likeness. And though Paul has been a Christian now for many years, though he has served the Lord, though he has been an author of Scripture, though the resurrected Christ even appeared to him on the road to Damascus, nevertheless, Paul has not yet arrived. And he knows that. And he cannot be complacent in his Christian life. Uh, He cannot allow himself to be plateaued. And so he says... Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. And this word press on is drawn from the the athletic arena of the day. It it is drawn from the vast stadiums of the Roman Empire and the Roman Colosseum and the, the, the Colosseum on the Isthmian Way just outside of Corinth. To press on speaks of a runner in the games who is straining every muscle in his body to advance, who is widening his stride, who is pumping his knees, who is moving his arms, who is leaning forward to the finish line. Paul says, that's what I'm doing in my spiritual life. Though he is sitting still in house arrest in Rome, chained to to Roman soldiers, in his heart and in his soul and in his mind, he is running like a world-class athlete, pushing himself, disciplining himself that he would know more of Christ and that he would become more like Christ. Nothing passive here. Uh, this is as far away from let go and let God as anyone could possibly be in their view of the Christian life. Uh, Paul is not a spectator sitting up in the stands. He, he's not sitting down in the middle of the track. Paul is on the narrow way, and he is, he is pressing on with all of the energy that the grace of God will give him. And he tells us why so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul is running, spiritually speaking, as fast as he can after the knowledge of Christ and after Christ's likeness so that he can lay hold of it, aggressively lay hold of it just like he was laid hold of by Christ Himself. Now, you recall on the Damascus Road, Jesus came running after Paul. Jesus came aggressive towards Paul. Jesus came hard after Paul, so much so that it was like a a blinding light that flashed out of heaven, and Jesus knocked Paul off his high horse, and literally by grace laid hold of Paul. Paul now says, this is exactly how I must lay hold of Christ. This is exactly how I must live my my Christian life. I I, I cannot be passive. I cannot be content with where I am. I, I can't just be sitting on the bench or sitting up in the stands. I must press on so that I can lay hold of Christ. And this must be true of your spiritual life and my spiritual life. Listen, there's not a one of us here today who who have arrived. Uh, Whether you have been a Christian for many years or you just started running this race, you and I must run this race until the moment we pass from this world to the next world. When we pass away, we need to be pressing on with all of our might. So verse 13, he says, brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet. And the it refers to the full knowledge of Christ and it refers to perfect Christ likeness. But he says, but one thing I do. This is how the Christian life is to be lived. But one thing that I do. This needs to be my testimony today. This t- needs to be your testimony. You don't need to be doing 20 things. You don't need to be doing 10 things. You need to be doing one thing and one thing only. You need to have blinders on. You need to have a myoptic focus. You need to narrow it down to one thing that is supreme. And this one thing is that I might grow to know Christ more fully and that I might become more like Christ In the way that I am living my life. And everything else that's going on in your life will be the overflow of this one thing. If you're doing 20 things, you're doing nothing. If you do one thing, you'll be able to do 20 things. Because as you do this one thing, you will be empowered by Christ to do everything else that's going on in your life. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? Well, here's the main thing. Here is job number one. This is first base. If you run to second or third base, you're out if you miss first base. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. This one thing I do. The, the words I do are not in the original text literally when Paul wrote this, he said, but one thing. He is so emphatic, he doesn't even finish his sentence. It's a a, a staccato way of communicating one thing, forgetting what lies behind. No runner can run and win the prize if he's running by looking backwards over his shoulder. You have to be looking forward. You have to be looking at the finish line, where Jesus Christ is standing at the finish line. We must be Hebrews 12:2 looking unto Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith. What would Paul be tempted to look back at? Well, it's what we see in verses 5 and 6. His old life before he became a believer. Uh, when he was when he was ensnared in legalism, when he was caught up in his uh, in the apostate dead religion of, of of Judaism, he he must forget what lies behind. He he can't be trying to, to to replay what took place in the past. The past is the past. It it's gone. It's behind me. Paul can't be looking backwards and running forward at the same time. And there's a message for us here today as well, because among us here today. Each one of us has some type of failure in our past. But we cannot be tied down to past failure. It is behind us. It is over. The grace of God has buried it. We must now press on and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, in reaching forward to what lies ahead. At the end of verse 13, this verb, reaching forward, means to stretch, to stretch out. Figuratively, it was of a, of a runner who was straining every muscle to reach the finish line in an all out effort. This is how you and I must be living our Christian life. We must be reaching forward and stretching our muscles and widening our stride as we live for Christ. We, we need to be more disciplined in prayer. We need to be more disciplined in the Word of God. We need to be more consistent in our witness for Jesus Christ. We need to be meditating even more on Jesus Christ throughout the day. We need to be buffeting our body and making it our slave. We need to be resisting temptation. We need to be rejecting this evil world system. We need to be loving God and pushing forward by the grace of God, more and more each day. That's Paul's testimony to us. And it is intended to motivate us and rally us to that end. Listen, you may retire from work. You're never going to retire from the Christian life. You're never going to retire from running this race. As long as you are breathing on this earth, you are in this race and you need to be moving out, and you need to be being used by God as you grow to know His Son. He concludes in verse 14, and then I finish. He says it again, I press on. He underscores this athletic analogy, and he wants to reinforce for our thinking the maximum effort that is needed And the energy of the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, how is Paul running this race? It is by the power of the resurrection of Christ in verse 10. That is how he is able to press on. That is how he is able to to reach forward. That is how he is able to, to advance. It is by the power of the resurrection of Christ. And how would he have this power? It is by growing to know Christ himself. And so, in verse 14, and we conclude, I press on toward the goal. What's the goal? The fullness of the knowledge of Christ. The fullness of Christ-likeness. To have any other goal is a wrong goal. Listen, you can run fast, but if you're running at the wrong goal, that doesn't do you any good. You're just running faster and faster away from where you need to be. You must have the right goal that is before you. And Paul, for Paul, the goal of his Christian life was to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, and it was to become more and more like Christ. So he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize. The prize is the eternal reward that is given at the end of the race for those who have run the race well, for those who have given themselves to the pursuit of the knowledge of Christ. There is a prize and there is an eternal reward that will be given at the last day when you cross the finish line. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is this upward call? It is the day God calls you home. It is the day when he calls your name and you leave this world through the portals of death or at the time of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an upward call that will summon you and even subpoena you to appear before The throne of grace in heaven. So, Paul's entire life is absorbed in running this race that he might know Jesus Christ more fully and that he might experience more of the power of the resurrection in his life. And yes, he will suffer persecution and yes, he will suffer tribulation, but Paul. For Paul, that's just a part of the process, and he will press on to the end. So, let me bring this to close. Where are you today? Well, what's going on in your Christian life? Where? How would you describe where you are right now? Are you running like Paul ran? Are you moving out? Do you have this goal in front of you? Is it possible you have slowed down? Is it possible you've become distracted? Is it possible that you're not doing one thing? That you've been pulled aside for different emergencies or difficulties or challenges? Have they distracted you from this one thing? Where are you? are you on the track? Are you running the race? Or could it be that you sat down? Could it be you're sitting on the bench? Could it be that you're a spectator in the stadium? Or can you honestly say before God, I I am on the track. I am pressing on. I am forgetting what lies behind. I am reaching forward to what lies ahead. There is a forward tilt to your spiritual life. And that you are all in and growing to know Jesus Christ in your heart of heart. So where are you today? And if you need to get back in the race, if you need to, to apply yourself more fully like Paul did, then may God use this message, these verses, uh, to be something of a wake-up call, to, to get you back going in the direction where you need to be. And as God has you here today, it is obvious by divine providence that God wants everyone in this house today to hear these verses and that these verses would be a motivating force, an inspiring set of verses that would light a fire under each and every one. As I look around, I see some older citizens. May none of us, and I'm now in that category myself, may none of us just be cruising to glory. May none of us, as we approach the finish line, just be shuffling to the finish line. And for those of you on the other end of the spectrum, who are young, you've got your whole race in front of you. Don't think you've arrived. Don't think that where you presently are in your spiritual life is where it needs to remain. You've got the rest of your life to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Go full tilt in living for Christ. Go all out. Be all in for living for Christ. And if you've never believed... ...upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We've been talking about the Christian life... ...but there's only one way to enter the Christian life. Could it be that you would, as you find yourself here today... ...that you've never entered the race to begin with? Could it be that you are in church... ...but you are not yet in Christ? Uh, Could it be that you profess Christ... ...but in reality you do not possess Christ? Christ? Could it be that you have not yet come to know Jesus Christ in a saving way for the very first time? If that is true of your life, then I urge you today, this very moment, to call upon the name of the Lord, to confess your sin, to turn away from the world, to turn to Jesus Christ, to put your trust in Christ alone. He is a mighty Savior, and He will save unto the uttermost all who come to Him by faith. Commit your life to Christ. Come to Christ by faith. Take the step of faith. Entrust all that you are to Jesus Christ, and He will receive you. He loves to gather in lost sinners. He's a physician who has come not for those who are well, but for those who are sick. Tell him how sick you are. Tell him how sinful you are. He has not come for good people. If you try to tell him how good you are, he'll walk away. He has come for those who are sick in their sin and in dire need of his grace. Him who comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out, he says. He will gather you in. As a mother hen would gather in her chicks. So come to Christ. Believe upon Christ. And he will receive you into his arms of forgiving grace. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, how we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul who lived his Christian life in such a way that your grace was obviously at work in his life. Lord, we want to keep pace with Paul. We don't want to be at the back of the pack. We don't want to be at the end of those running the race. We want to catch up. We want to be pace setters. We want to be those who are pushing ahead to be out ahead. And so, Lord, use this message today to speak to our lives and to challenge us and to inspire us, maybe convict us of where we need to be in our Christian life. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.